Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Oh, it's so good to be back. I am, I can't even tell you how excited I am about this new guest. Um, I just finished your book literally in three days. Um, just feel like so connected and just love so much that was brought up in this book. So I, I just really wanted to share her immediately with you guys, because I just think it's going to really open our minds and our hearts in a lot of ways that, you know, our podcast has done in the past, but, um, this woman is Reverend Aurelia Davila Pratt. She's the lead pastor of Peace of Christ Church in Round Rock, Texas, the co-host of Nuance Tea Podcast. Aurelia, you were named among the Sojourners top 10 Christian women shaping the church in 2022. So this was women who are bringing hope and inspiring us to action. So Aurelia, I am so excited to have you on the show. Um, we Honestly, bringing you on, it made me feel the same way I did when we had Kat Armas on here, Christina Cleveland, um, Ashley Abercrombie, like so many mover and shaker women, um, not only in like faith tradition, but just justice and just saying the things that need to be said. So thank you for coming on. We are so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. What a generous introduction. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> book and Christina's book this last mm. year. So even to be included in the same breath of them is. <laughs> well, you've earned it. You have done your work and now you're sharing your work with others. So really excited just to get some of your wisdom today. You just wrote a book called a brown girl's epiphany, reclaim your intu intuition and step into your power. And a lot of what you talk about is just how you yourself have journeyed. I mean, you've journeyed from being exactly what you said, a brown girl. <laughs> and now stepping into as a clergy woman, um, I think it's so amazing. But not only that, to step into the fullness of your power. And I think, you know, our our listenership is mostly made up of survivors of trauma, specifically sexual abuse and exploitation. Um, and so I just list I read your book through my own lens as a trauma survivor, and you just share so many pieces about healing, about intuition, about freedom, about stepping outside of harmful beliefs that we've grown up with, about tradition, um, that just was so freeing for me. And I wanted to read um, a little bit about your book and then kind of dive into some questions if that's okay. By the way, I just saw that you um, posted a video of your dad reading yeah. your book. And I want to say that I would like to challenge him to the amount of highlighting that I have done. Ooh. I mean, he pretty much <laughs> highlighted your whole book, but I can say that mine was very, very close. Wow. So I would like to do that side <laughs> by side in your, in your next reel. But <laughs> so you, so about your book, it says each of us has traumas, triggers, and painful experiences that have shaped our existence in this world. We carry these burdens with us as we navigate the realities of our lives. Learning to embody the truth of Amajo Day is our catalyst for healing. 
We are each made in the image of God and the spirit of God lives within us. Therefore, we are allowed to listen to our spirit. We are invited to develop our own divine intuition and we're empowered to trust our inner voice. We don't need anyone else's permission to navigate our life and faith except our own. By stepping out of harmful belief systems informed by white supremacy and scarcity, we can step into healthy paradigms of abundance, liberation, and power. And your book is a love letter and all to all of us in need of guidance on our journey. And so, you know, as I shared, we talk a lot about the healing journey on this podcast. It's a lifelong journey. And, you know, we, Mary and I are creating spaces to allow survivors to show up as they are. Um, to ask questions they didn't feel like they're out loud to ask, to say hard things, to hear me too. And um, I think you're doing that in your own spaces, not specifically to sexual abuse, but in lots of the traumas that you've talked about. And I just wondered if you could share, just kind of launch us off with what are, what are some of these safe spaces you're creating and what are they looking like? Wow. What a great question. Thank you for asking me that because Space making is my passion in mm. in life, not just yeah. in in ministry, but as a person of God, which we all are, in my view, children of God. And um, I think space making for any of us is divine, divine, mm. sacred work. Um, mm. For me, it really is about creating safe spaces to live into the fullness of our authenticity, because I do believe that, you know, Imago Dei is just, that means image of God. And I believe that we're all made in the image of God and God's spirit lives in us and we're empowered to live into the fullness of what that means. Mm -hmm. So that means being the most authentic selves that we could possibly be. And we can't authentically navigate any space if we're not allowed to live into that fullness, if we're not allowed to ask questions when we're curious, if we're mm -hmm. not allowed to challenge systems or, or, or dynamics or patterns that we can identify as harmful. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, whether it's for um, my podcast, which we're kind of on a hiatus right now, cause we're laying some groundwork, getting our LLC. Um, but you know, that space is me and another clergy woman where we're talking about taboo topics that in the church maybe aren't necessarily access, uh, acceptable to talk about. Uh -huh. Um, but in my church, it's all about creating space for navigating faith in ways we previously haven't been allowed to, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to asking questions and, um, valuing irreverence. And because mm. sometimes we find our authenticity away from the piety that's been <laughs> right. assigned to us. Mm -hmm. Um, piety is only good if we're, if it's leading us to authenticity, if mm. it, if it's, if it's not doing that, then it's not serving us. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, just really being real and creating spaces where people are allowed to not have to leave parts of themselves at the door. Mm. Yeah. I feel like something that I've been struggling with a lot in the last few months, um, you actually touched on in the book and, it, and it's about that authenticity and like trusting ourselves and how the church has kind of mm, got it wrong. <laughs> um, whereas we've been taught that we can't trust ourselves. Um that our hearts are deceitful above all else, that we can't trust our bodies. And so a lot of healing for me has come through learning to trust my body when it's speaking, 
I mean, even in the last year of just being able to like be quiet and hear and notice, notice the feelings, notice what it's saying. Cause I mean, my whole life as a trauma survivor has been disconnected from my body, dissociated because of trauma. And then I had what was, what has always been a big part of my healing is my faith, my faith in God and walking with Jesus along my healing journey. But then I've had verses, you know, spat at me about that. I am a bad person. I am sinful. I am. Yeah. I'm not to be trusting of my own heart. And so it has caused such a rift in my healing. And, but you really dove into this topic in a way that felt so clear and comforting. And um, I wondered if you'd be willing to share a little bit of that specifically for survivors who've also kind of felt that same way. Yeah. And let me just say, you know, I try to be as mindful as I can about my scope of knowledge, um, in terms of being trauma informed, but it is Mm -hmm. absolutely a, like the highest thing I aspire to as a Mm -hmm. pastor and as a human to be trauma informed and be mindful of other people's trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, you know, talk about the body because I, and many of us have recognized that body and spirit have been split and the theologies that we've inherited and body means bad and spirit means good. But the problem with that is, is that spirit then means like in interpretation of usually someone else's theology Mm. Um, because our hearts are, our hearts are deceitful. So we need to, we need to listen to God, but who gets to decide what God's saying and what the things of God mean? Well, it's usually somebody who benefits from us being disconnected from our intuition. And Mm. what I'm saying is that we can't reclaim our intuition if we are disconnected from our body, because Mm -hmm like knowing our body's messages and being tuned into what our body is trying to communicate to us and acknowledging that our body carries trauma, um, ignoring all of those things will keep us separated from our intuition, but paying Mm -hmm. attention to them is an entry point into our intuition and our intuition, in my opinion, is a part of the spirit of God that dwells within us. Um, And so we can trust ourselves and we can listen to that spirit. And that's Mm -hmm. really the message of this book. So I do think while, while I don't share all the same experiences of trauma and we all have our different journeys, I do think this book speaks to that. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much like not trying to offer prescriptions. So it's more just like sharing my story and hoping something resonates. Yeah. And I did appreciate that because I kept waiting for like, well, can she tell me exactly how to do that? (laughs) But at the same time, it was not, it wasn't that way, but it's even just as comforting because it helps me to have confidence in how I am exploring my journey and how I am paying attention and everybody's going to have it different. Yeah. But it is a process. It is a journey. It is a coming back to ourselves. Um, that I really, I really appreciate it. And you even mentioned a specific um, 
situation that you had when you were remembering your grandmother and the sunflowers and how it was like on an anniversary date. And I had a a similar experience just this summer on my anniversary date of the day that I told um, about my abuse. And I went for a hike and after the hike and I had grieved and I had cried and I had paid attention the entire time. And then when I was finished, I went out to the parking lot and I saw a John Deere tractor. It was that was all that was out and with my car. And it was just a memory of my grandfather who had passed just a few years ago, who meant so much to me in my life. And it's like, I don't know, like many people could say that means nothing. And it was just happenstance. But for me, it meant something. And for you, those sunflowers in the field meant something. And why take away from that? And so I think a lot of it is, is paying attention, listening to our intuition. What is the story being told for me today versus all the years in my life where it was like a disconnect between my brain and my heart. And it was like, we were just doing separate lives, you know, now it's like a coming together. And I just really appreciated how you do talk about how that the divine dwells, dwells within us. It's not this separate part that's telling us good and bad, right and wrong. It's within us and we can listen to it. Mm -hmm. And our bodies will send us messages that lead us to that, you know, spirit intuition that's in inside us. It's not separate. We can synthesize Mm -hmm. our faith and we can synthesize these experiences between Mm -hmm. body and spirit and mind. And, and yeah, I think it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I just immediately popped up for me. So similarly, And I would have hated to have missed that opportunity by not making space in my schedule, not making space emotionally to grieve um, and to pay attention. Yeah. Noticing is so important in this journey. Um, And don't you think that there's a connection between all that we're talking about right now and inner child work? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Me too. Me too. There's something about it that it gives backwards and you, and you did talk a little bit about this in the book too. Um, there's a healing that can happen now through our experiences. And there's also a healing that kind of goes backwards to the little one that needed something mm-hmm. that didn't receive it. Um, and then it also goes forward into to our own children and future generations. If we are paying attention, if we are doing our healing work, um, I just wonder if you could kind of touch on that a little bit, your thoughts yeah. on that. Well, it's funny. Cause I do have a chapter on, um, stepping into your child self. And mm-hmm. at the same time for me, I described this whole book as an experiment in gate and compassionately engaging my child self. So even though I only have a chapter on it for me, every chapter I was, you know, imagining that I was talking to my child self mm. and, that was helping me stay focused and grounded on what I needed to say in the book and the assignment I was given, as Mm -hmm. opposed to thinking about all the different people that might read it. So Mm -hmm. I think it's always a good exercise, but I feel specifically for this book and its message, what I'm wanting us to know about our child self is that they have healing that they still need, but they also have gifts that they can give us now in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And this, now look, this is very, this is very serious when, especially when you have um, really horrific trauma, because 
I was able to do this kind of work just kind of on my own because the trauma wasn't that, you know, acute in a way that it was dangerous. But I do think that for some people, you need like a therapist or somebody who can help you with the child self exercises, especially yeah. if the trauma you experienced was as a child. Absolutely. So I really want to say that because mm-hmm. um, I don't want to m- dig up something that's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the, the thought that I had for, for the inner child was just that when we're dealing with ourselves, we can be so hard on ourselves. We can be so mean to ourselves. We treat ourselves way worse than we would ever treat another peer. But when we imagine ourselves as a child, can you really be mean to a child? Can you be, you know, harsh to a child? No, like no one is going around being just mean to kids (laughs) for the most part. So with yourself, if you could just imagine your child self who still needs a certain word, who still needs a certain message or something, still has needs, your child self Mm -hmm. still has needs. If you could just imagine your child self and tend to some of these things with your child self in mind, I think your compassion, your self-compassion increases. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just think it's a beautiful way to engage your own healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do too. It it has revolutionized my healing when I have thought about the younger version of me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's been very important. Um. Okay. On the flip though, there's a section in the book that I wanted you to, to talk about. You said, and this is something that I hear so often from people who are wanting to do their best in walking with a survivor and helping them find hope is when you talked about when you came to the understanding that your mom has caused you a lot of pain and you dive into that a lot in your story. And, you know, first of all, I'm really sorry about that. And um, I'm also grateful you're willing to be vulnerable about it because it's a really hard thing to talk about. Um, But you said you came to what you know now. My mom did the best she could with the resources and emotional capacity she had. My mom was operating out of her own trauma. I may not have had a close relationship with my mom, but she has always loved me. I have compassion, empathy, and forgiveness for my mother. And I just find that so difficult. <laughs> and I'm wondering, one, I guess, was there something specific that brought you there? Um, because I go back and forth about that with people who caused pain to other people. And um, and a lot of us don't, you know, even have relationships with these people who have caused hurt. And a lot of times for survivors of sexual abuse, it's not the abuser. It's the enabler. It's the bystander. It's the quiet mom that didn't mm. say anything or that said, you know, everyone goes through this or whatever they say that's dismissive. And we struggle. We have a wound, you know, for years and years. And it's hard to eventually get to a point where you are with your mom, where you can say those things. So I'm wondering, was there a point in your healing that helped you get there? Do you think you'll always stay there? Oh, that's such a good question. Thank you for these thoughtful, (laughs) deep questions. Um, (laughs) Well, first of all, you know, again, levels of trauma are different and 
I didn't really go (laughs) into the intricacies of that relationship in the book because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, my purpose was to like make a point and about my own experience with scarcity. And so it wasn't necessarily like a deep dive into that, but I will say on the matter of forgiveness, Mm -hmm. um, that is a really tricky topic to talk about. And for me, as someone who has had to revisit it over and over again, I mean, it never, it's never like a one and done. And whenever people talk about forgiveness, I, I kind of have a little side eye (laughs) when it comes to that, especially if it's people talking about forgiveness that as far as I know, have never endured like the level of suffering in by a person in like that way, whether it's abuse or abandonment or something Mm -hmm. like that, you know, acute. Um, So I always have a little side eye with forgiveness conversations. Mm -hmm. And I would love to say that um, it's just sort of a thing I have to revisit every day and every season and every encounter. Yeah. Um, So, and so I can say those things in the sense of, I know that I can be free from this suffering and that I can recognize mm-hmm. these things in a broad way, but that doesn't mean that it's still not painful for me to think yeah, about, yeah. you know, um, the, that complicated mm-hmm. quote unquote relationship, which I say very, yeah. Would you say it's a both and kind of thing? Yeah. Like, I can see why. She operated this way. Yes. But also there's going to be lifelong shrapnel. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Because I can see it. I can go back. I can Mm -hmm. learn about her story and I can understand why that happened. Mm -hmm. And that's in my brain. Yeah. My body in my heart can still get emotional. Anytime I talk about it, like right now, my eyes are watering up and it's funny because I'm, I've told people like, this was how old am I? 36. This was 26 years ago. And I cannot have a conversation about it without tears, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, my, my brain understands that and I can navigate my everyday life and Mm -hmm. something that makes me, my body have a a physical reaction. Mm -hmm. It's still something that is. I have to, as I parent a daughter, I have to like f- figure out how to not parent from that trauma mm-hmm. of abandonment and fear, you know, yeah. so it's a paradox, but Hey, I talk about paradox in the book as well. <laughs> and I believe yeah. you, you can experience, you can think many thoughts at once that are conflicting, yeah. feel many conflicting mm-hmm. feelings at once. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just, and for me, thank you. First yeah. of all, for being so vulnerable and honest with that. And, you know, I just really appreciate your heart and, and your healing journey. It's it's really important. And, you know, it's a ripple effect to those who will read this book or listen to this podcast. You know, you're extending healing mm-hmm. to others by being so honest and in your hurts and in your healing. And, and we just honor that here in this space. Um, but wouldn't you agree that a lot of healing, I think new levels of healing look like accepting that both end. Absolutely. That is what liberation is about to me. It is about stepping out of these harsh, rigid boxes of either or of in and out 
and stepping into the beauty of both and which when you do that, it's harder because suddenly you have to engage your faith every day. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. if you, if you do it the other way, you get certainty, you get someone else's interpretation. You don't really got to think about it. You get a set of A, B, and C rules. You get a blueprint. But when you step into the both and suddenly there's uncertainty and there's mystery and there's Mm -hmm. paradox and there's um, like just this kind of liminal space where every day you got to revisit your questions and that's more work, but it's more authentic. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And you talk in your book about the beauty of the mystery too. And to be able to hold on to both the mystery and the faith and the healing and the hope and the hardness of life and the unexpected. Um, and then also holding the hand of God and God within you. Oh my goodness. What an amazing woman you are, um, communicator, but also, I just think that you're modeling really what Jesus has always said to us to do. Um, And then that leads me into your heart for justice. Um, I would love for you to just sound off about that. I mean, you're, I just think that you have shared, I've, I've read a couple of your essays as well about racial reconciliation and white politeness and, I just think that you have a lot of really great things to say um, in a time when, I mean, in our city of Columbus, the police are killing black men every day. It's just really hard to live in this world right now. And, um, and just to hope, I mean, to, to be in surrounded by, you know, church folk who they are wonderful people, but they say horrific things. And it's hard for people that love justice, I think, to run in a lot of these church circles. Um, So my question, I guess, to kind of prompt you with is, you know, how are you pastoring Mm -hmm. in this climate? And can you talk a little bit about politeness and racial reconciliation. (laughs) Whoa, that was a lot. (laughs) You don't have to. I'm just giving you a launching pad. (laughs) I'm giving Um, you a launching pad for whatever feels feels right. That was great. Thank you. Um, Where do I want to begin? I guess I would say that, you know, in terms of justice work, I just like everyone else concerned with it and trying to figure out what my contribution is. And I think there needs to be a good level of self-compassion here as we evolve and as our jobs and lives are a part of that equation. Um, And for me, I think I'm starting to really believe that there's value in this season of being a pastor. And really, I call myself often my work of like paradigm shifting. Mm. I think that this is a form of justice work because, yeah, there are people, we are all setting up shop somewhere and there are people with their sleeves rolled up on the front Mm. lines of activism. And I learn from them. I sit at their feet and admire Mm. them. And perhaps one day that's where I'll find myself. But right now where I find myself is in this kind of, nitty gritty space of, of shifting the, the paradigms that people exist in so that 
people actually change their language, their way they raise their kids, the way they see the world. Like people can't just get on board and go protest if there's a disconnect with that paradigm and their paradigm. But if, especially in the church and theologically, you show people that there's another way to engage your faith, that there's this liberative way of bringing heaven to earth in the form of justice and equity and Mm -hmm. other ways that I think Jesus was about um, inclusion. Um, If you show people that there is this other way, um, they will live into that day in, day out. And over time, the way they, Mm -hmm. you know, what they read and what they say and how they see the world shifts. And I think that's, you know, it's really important work. I don't, you don't always see like these really drastic changes, but Mm -hmm. in a way to me, I guess it's a form of mobilizing for the future. Um, So I try to do that with a lot of compassion, knowing that, you know, people have trauma, Mm -hmm. have um, everyday life stressors. They have jobs and kids and lives. And the reality is like, it's hard to change your ideals <laughs> and to shift. Yeah. And um, I think maybe I'm a good person for that job because I, I can have compassion for that while still trying to push the needle forward, at least mm. in the season of my life. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think you're right. I think your voice is really, really important and your platform. I mean, being a pastor, a woman of color, only, and you said the majority of your congregants are are white I mean that's yeah I mean I just think that your voice that we need to hear I'm really glad that your voice is being heard and shared and I do think like there's such a I think the time is now for rebirth I think for the church and it's it's difficult to just see the divisiveness but at the same time like if we can be catalysts for change and just loving people and serving, meeting needs, um, listening to the marginalized, I don't know. I was on a podcast recently and, you know, all the things I care about was brought up. And then it's like, you still go to church? <laughs> like this doesn't add up for people, but I'm not in a community, you know, that I don't believe in. So Right. And it's tricky too, when you have kids, I mean, if it was just me and I didn't have a kid and I, and I wasn't a pastor, I don't know if I would be at church. Right. (laughs) If I wasn't a pastor, I don't know if I'd be at church. That sounds funny. (laughs) It Um, is funny, but I also get it. Listen, I've been doing this for 10 years, so I'm tired, (laughs) but like also, you know, I, I look at this reimagined faith in in which there is no blueprint for. And I think, well, what about our kids? Because I do want my kid to have an awareness of the divine within her. I want her to have faith formation Mm -hmm. and faith community. So it's like, yeah, if I didn't have a kid, maybe I could just like do my own thing and connect with people on Instagram and like, you know, here and there, but it's like, I really want for her what I experienced when I go back and think about the ways I experienced God before all the indoctrination. 
but I don't think I would have had those experiences without the structure of a faith community to help, Mm -hmm. you know, inspire me or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to, of course, create a better world for her, but I want that to include, you know, elements of faith community. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And just the idea of like creating a better world for her. Um, You know, as I've thought about that too, as a mom, just wanting so badly to create a better world for my kids and for their kids and their kids, you know, it's just like, I do a lot of times feel like the time is now, like there seems like a lot of pressure to really fill them with truth and just um, different eyesight than I had growing up, you know, growing up in rural Ohio and the things that I was taught in my school was absolutely ridiculous. And then it wasn't like I had any teaching at home that was any different. And so it just feels like sometimes a lot of pressure to be able to really show them the way and um, how to love people, how to see people, how to see the world, how to care for the world, how to be grounded in the world um, and also have their heads in the clouds where they're holding on to hope and all of that. But in the midst of all of that, all of the pressures of doing that, I also feel this just sweet care and nurture for the child that's inside of me. It's like, at the same time, I didn't receive any of these things that I'm giving my children and trying to educate them with. And I'm doing okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm doing okay. And the little one within me is just like, good job. But also like I went through so much and like you're caring for me too. It's just such a interesting dynamic to be sort of the present one, the one in between is what I'm saying. Do you ever feel like that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, there's no guarantees. Like I know for a fact, I'm going to mess something up. I know for a fact my kid's going to experience trauma. And I know for a fact that she's going to be disappointed in me and want to do things differently in certain mm-hmm. ways. I know yes, all yes. those things for sure. And I can't, I can't say which method or mode of parenting is going to, in terms of faith formation is going to be the right one. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I go back to Imago Dei and that message of believing and embodying the image of God within us. Mm-hmm. And what I tell myself as a parent is like, the best thing I can do is trust in her Imago Dei. Like, I can tell her what I want her to believe. I can even try to like embody what I want for her to believe, but I can't, I can't control how, how, what she does. The only thing I can do is trust that God is at work in her, that she's made in the image of God. And, you know, I think thinking about my little child self, Mm -hmm. I think that's what I would have wanted from someone was just for them to trust in my goodness and to Mm -hmm. trust in God's image in me instead of like trying to micromanage how that played out. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's what I'm, my, my strategy, but we'll see how it works out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I just posted something the other day on social media about, have you ever thought about that? The person that you are right now is the person that your younger self would have felt safe with. Mm, I think I commented on that because I remember mm. that. That okay. was so good. Oh, that yeah. Was- I think you did. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it just reminds me of that. That's the importance of like looking at yourself right now and like with all the pressure to do the right thing for the, for your children or for the children that are in your life um, to say the right thing, or then to do your healing work. And there's so much pressure. Like I got to get to this certain place on my healing journey, but like, if I can just stop right now and just look at how much healing I have received, how I have on my own become a survivor of all these different things. And I would have felt safe with me because that's what trauma healing does. You, you learn to survive, you cope in whatever way you have to, to get to where you are today. And for sure, I think so many, I think every survivor that's listening right now, if you actually could stop and just think about all that you are, all that you encompass, the divine that is in with each one of you as a child of God, as a, as a survivor of trauma, that you've gotten to this place with so many tools that you didn't even think about until you just stopped right now. And those tools are things that have made you a safe person to the little person inside of you. Otherwise you wouldn't be here. Yeah. I just think that's so powerful and so healing. And that is your intuition. That Mm. is what I'm saying is like your intuition is already there. It's been guiding you, but imagine like what it, what your power could be if you were aware of it, you know, cause so often it's just like, wow, I was protected or in this way, or wow, I was resilient in that way. But like, what if we had the awareness and we were like in sync with our intuition? And that's the, the subtitle of this book is so it's like, wow, that's a big task. Like really reclaim your intuition, step into your power. And then I offer no prescription for it. Like what the, (laughs) but it's like, that's what I mean is like your intuition is doing that. Look back, look at your child self and see, pay attention to your body and like, then see what happens. You become like a powerful person because you are in sync. You're in divine alignment with the spirit that is already there sending you messages. Yeah. every day. Yeah. I mean, I want to hear you keep talking about that, but I wanted to bring up, <laughs> so we've started these online support groups for survivors. And they are such a beautiful eight week journey for so many. And um, just this past, a couple of days ago, one of the survivors who's taken the course like four or five times, she said, I'm thinking about signing up again because I really love who I'm becoming. That just like, there's nothing better (laughs) than hearing that. Right. And I think it's a lot of what you're saying. It's like going from this one place where you felt so disconnected, you didn't even trust yourself. Um. To be beginning to trust, to find that intuition. And now she's seeing that she's powerful. She likes it. She likes who she is. Isn't that so cool? When you talk about power, what does that look like for you? Well, to step into your power. Is it just knowing who you are? Well, I think it is embodying the truth of Imago Day. We can believe we are made in the image of God in our heads. What does it look like to embody that in your everyday life? Do you really believe that you are made in God's image, that God's spirit lives within you, that you can trust yourself, that you can listen to the spirit nudges that you're given? What does that look like to do that every day? That mm-hmm. to me is living in your power. 
Yeah. Imagine if you actually did that. Like I, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm writing a, a, a presentation on imposter syndrome and I'm procrastinating for an hour every day before I can even get started. And then I don't have any time left because <laughs> I'm still struggling because it's the work of my life to mm-hmm. trust myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for some people, maybe that's not their work and it's something else, but that, you know, that's my work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that though. It's like you're finally in alignment when you wake up in the morning and yeah, you're feeling like I can ride the winds of this day Yeah, because I know who I am. I know my community. I'm safe in my community. I have healthy boundaries Yeah, and um, yeah, I can't be shaken. I think is how I feel when I think about that. And your power is not attached to your achievements. It's not attached to completing your to-do list. It's Mm. not attached to external validation or permission. Um, It is, it is just this inner knowing Mm -hmm. that you invite into your consciousness, to your daily consciousness, you know, and it, that's why it is so tricky because you cannot tell someone, this is what it looks like. You have to go and do that exploring, And I try, I really try to be, that's why the space making, the space making is so important because Mm -hmm. we can't offer the, the answers, but we can offer the space to do this hard work in community, you know? And I think is very Christ-like because I think Jesus, if you go and actually read the gospels, he very rarely gives hard and fast answers to anything. Oh, he almost always answers questions with more questions. Questions. Yeah. And that to me is a metaphor that has some really deep meaning for what it looks like to authentically navigate our faith, navigate our healing and -hmm. navigate our daily lives with our intuition in tow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely, if Jesus is going to ask a question to a question, then why can't we, right? Mm -hmm. Why can't we continue to explore and, and, and be creative with our lives? Mm-hmm. That's why I reject any, I am suspicious of any faith leader that, uh, that makes you think that questioning or doubting or, or wrestling is, is, is the wrong way to me. You're closer, you're closer to doing your most authentic faith work if you're doing that. And there, and it will, it's lifelong mm-hmm. learning for a reason. Like it's never, mm-hmm. that's just how, that's just the way of it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I, I would say I often picture the faith journey right alongside the healing journey. It's, it's lifelong. It is an exploration and it can be fun. It can be rewarding. It can be hard. Um, but if we, I think acknowledge that it is both, um, we'll, we will have a lot more fun. along the way. And it'll feel so much more authentic. We can live out our true stories um, versus whatever someone's prescription for our story might've been. Yes. And, and I just, I'm so admiring hearing about the spaces you're creating so that, you know, women who need healing um, can do so in community and safe spaces. Yeah. Such good work. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a real COVID gift, I will say. Silver lining. Yes, yes. And it's something I don't want to give up anytime soon because it's been so meaningful um, for all of us. And it's just such a 
a joy to, as you know, to create a space and then see people really thrive in it. Absolutely. To feel like they belong. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, you are clearly a person that makes everyone feel like they belong. Thank you for being here. This has been such a really fun conversation. Um, I'm excited to share your book with everybody that I know. Thank you. And yes. And how can people find you? Where do you want them to buy your book? Well, find me on Instagram, um, Rev Aurelia Joy. I right now it's all a lot of book promotion because it's about to um it's just that time where it's releasing. Yeah. But I really love to engage that space with um I call it spoken word exegesis where I'm taking texts or common pieces of theology and mm-hmm. reimagining them through kind of like po- poetry reels type situations. And mm-hmm. so anyways, I, I love that space. And then for the book, it's sold anywhere books are, are sold. So if you have a local bookshop, oh my gosh, please go tell them, ask them if they have it and request they carry it. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, but you can buy it online anywhere too. So that's right. I wanted to read before we go your opening words to this book. Oh, it just takes my breath away. I literally got tears in my eyes on page yes. XV. Well, and you know, before what? the page numbers even began. If you go to my Instagram page, I've pinned the, that because for my book trailer, all it is is me reading the opening words. Oh, um, and it's in a you field of sunflowers. It's in a field of sunflowers. Mm. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to read it. I want our listeners to go follow you and find that themselves so they can hear yes, it in your own so, words. I love it so much. And Me the too. same field I was talking about in the book. Oh. I went back there to film the trailer. Mm. That's so cool. I'm going to go film a reel on a John Deere tractor then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to sing John Deere Green as I'm driving. Oh my God. No, Mary, wow. no you don't like that. that. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Aurelia. You are such a gift to this world and we appreciate you and call you our friend. So oh, thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.